This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, may I please have your attention. It is with deep regret that we'd like to announce that the Big Show's father, Paul White Sr., has lost his valiant battle with cancer and passed away this past weekend. Now, private services are going to be held this weekend, and we ask everyone to please rise in honor of his father's memory as we toll the bell ten times. Disingenuous. This is not good. No, it isn't. Shut up and listen to me. With the deepest regrets and tears that are soaked, I'm sorry to hear your dad finally croaked. He lived a full life on his own terms. Soon he'll be buried and eaten by worms. But if I could have a son as stupid as you, I'd have wished for cancer so I would die too. So be brave and be strong. Get your life on track. Cause the old bastard's dead and he ain't never coming back. Wow. I am not believing what we're hearing here. That's exactly how I feel about the Big Show's daddy being dead. That is the most pathetic human being I think I've ever seen in this business. What a sadistic, uncaring, poor excuse for a man is the Big Boss Man. Well, I don't have anything to add to that other than that was wrong, real wrong. It's my music. Break it down. Oh, you didn't know? Stand back. I'm a nice man. Mamacita. Do you smell what the rock is cooking? Eat me. You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to 
to the music of Pro Wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich. This is episode 62, and today we're going to be looking at the theme songs of Ray Trailer, better known as the Big Boss Man, or as Howard Finkel would say, the Big Boss Man. And joining me today to help break down these themes is one of the hosts of the RBR Weekly Wrestling Talk podcast. It's Maxwell Bombach. Hello, Maxwell. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. Glad to be here and always glad to have any opportunity to talk about the big boss, man. Yeah, it's great to have you on here, for sure. Uh, finally get to talk to you in a, a long-form conversation, as opposed to just on Twitter. For sure. Um, yeah, you're what I would call a podcasting veteran, actually, because mm-hmm. you've been doing RBR for like well over a decade at this point, right? So, yeah, so RBR itself has been going on for 14 years. Uh, it was launched in 2005. It was actually one of the first wrestling podcasts, period. I... Um, was sort of a fill-in host at times and then became a, an actual permanent host uh, about seven years ago now, which is like terrifying uh, with, with how much time has gone on uh, during that period. But yeah, probably about seven years ago, started to sort of host with regularity and uh, became a full-time host of the show. So it's been, it's been an adventure, but it's something that I absolutely love doing. And now you're at over 700 episodes too which compared to this podcast is, is pretty remarkable, I think. <laughs> uh, you're going to get there, though. It's, you're going to be ah, digging the bottom eventually. of the barrel for themes, but yeah. you'll get there. Give me like uh, 80 years, and I'll catch up to you. <laughs> what, uh, what would your plan be for episode 700? Do you think at that point you'll just be like diving in real deep and being like, all right, we're just going to do you know the WWF themes of Agula, and that's it. <laughs> That'd be uh, pretty low, I think. <laughs> you know, uh, Just Joe, Lucky oh, Cannon, yeah. those guys. They, they get it get pretty desperate, I think, to get to those guys. But uh, life yeah, finds get a full, a full episode on Kazarni. Yeah, <laughs> life finds a way. Life finds Absolutely. a way. But um, yeah, the other cool thing about you being on here is that uh, you you know most of my guests are either podcasters or writers or both, but I've had very few guests on here who are actually involved in wrestling, like being part of companies or, or shows and whatnot. I've had on Granakuma in the past. I've had on uh, Garrett Kidney, of course, a bunch of times. And you, Maxwell, you yourself spent many years as a uh, commentator and as a booker for freelance wrestling in Chicago, which to me is a pretty cool job because I love being creative and I love coming up with ideas for wrestling. But at the same time, you know, I also know that it's a pretty nerve-wracking job as well. So I, I'm kind of jealous of you, but not really. Not not really. <laughs> well, and that's exactly why I don't do it anymore. <laughs> so, it's, it's one of those things where it was an absolute dream. And if 14-year-old me knew that 26-year-old me decided to walk away from booking a, you know, pretty prominent independent promotion, he would be furious. But... Uh, it is what it is. I, I had so much fun in wrestling and I got to I got to do some really cool things. And the cool thing about doing that at the indie level is just getting to see what people become. It's it's very rewarding to know, like in hindsight, when people are, are you know, digging through YouTube and they come across a match between Mustafa Ali and Jonathan Gresham, that that's something that I put together like that is it, it doesn't stop being rewarding when you're involved with an indie group like that. So 
it was something that's really cool but yeah like you said it is incredibly stressful i left on really good terms with everybody i actually did their uh anniversary show in june but it is yeah it is nerve-wracking it is non-stop stress it is a lot of moving parts uh i don't know how aware of this you are but a lot of indie wrestlers are not the most reliable people sometimes. What? So yeah, yeah. It's I very... am shocked, good sir. I am shocked. Yeah, a lot of people think that because it's called professional wrestling that every person involved <laughs> is a a complete professional, but sometimes that's not the case. So you have to do a lot of scrambling and and rebooking and uh, changing plans on the fly. But uh, yeah, an incredible experience. Not something I ever see myself getting back to at least. Uh, to the level that I, I was involved. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, let me ask you something I ask pretty much all of my first-time guests here. How long have you been a wrestling fan, and how did you get into wrestling? So, uh, pretty much everyone in my family was a wrestling fan, dating back, like, decades. So my great... It would have been my great-grandmother used to take her kids to like the carnival and like send her kids off and be like, go play games. I'm going to watch the wrestling matches like way back in the day. Uh, so then my grandfather was a fan, uh, mostly of like the AWA. Cause that's what the Midwestern territory was. Um, my dad grew up on that as well. He spent a few years in Texas. So he got really into world class during that time. Uh, and then just, it was just always on when I was a kid. So uh, from the time I was probably, I think four to five is when most of my earliest memories of wrestling are. Uh, so that's a lot of uh, Shawn Michaels um, and then kind of attitude era WWF is what I grew up on. And would you say that music has been a big part of your fandom? I, uh, yes, because I, I, so I was, you know, as someone who, you know, eventually became uh, a booker in pro wrestling, I was a big wrestling figure enthusiast. So I would always like put together full scale from the time I was like five or six, I was putting on like full scale, like shows with wrestling figures. And part of that is the entrance music. And that was, you know, learning everybody's entrance music so that I could sing it for when the <laughs> wrestling figure is making his entrance out to the ring. Uh, always getting the WWF, the music CDs and things like that. So it's, it's such a intrinsic part of wrestling and, it's, it's just part of the entire experience, and without it, it, it wouldn't be the same. Awesome, awesome. So we'll segue now to today's topic, uh, the themes of Ray Trailer, better known as the Big Boss Man, or Big Bubba Rogers, or The Boss, or some other B name that he had. Now, when I was getting this episode ready here, I was trying to think of who I wanted to have on to be the co-host. And Maxwell, your name was first on the list because you are, um, shall we say, a Big Boss fan of the Big Boss Man. <laughs> oh, yes. I am now changing my display name on Twitter to Big Boss Fan immediately. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, and this is going to sound like just unbelievable. It's going to make me sound as dumb as I am. Uh, I, so, I, like I said, I was into wrestling from a very young age. But I think what really hooked me into wrestling was like just the over the top cheesy attitude era nonsense, because I think that really helped me get it. And then from there, I was able to appreciate a lot more of the you know nuanced things and the in-ring aspect of technical wrestling. But as a kid, things like, you know, Big Boss Man making Al Snow eat his dog uh were very simple for me to understand and wrap my head around like oh th that is a bad guy 
Um, and Big Boss Man, I think, was the first heel that I remember being like, this is so over the top that, like, I'm, I'm completely aware of how preposterous and, you know, fake this is, but I am just completely amused by it and taken by it. Yeah, to me, the boss man, he, he fascinates me so much because here's a guy who wasn't just playing a former prison guard in wrestling. He legit was a former prison guard in real life. And that's a job that is pretty tough. And you need to have a serious, you know, no bullshit constitution to do it. You, you can't be a whimsical prison guard, you know, no. it, it just won't work. You need to be gruff and tough and serious. And for most of his career, the, the boss man, that was who he was. He was, you know, whether as the boss man or Big Bubba or whoever, he was the brutal, tough, take no bullshit brawler guy. But at the same time... That wasn't the only note he could play. He wasn't just that specific character type for his entire career. He was also the charismatic, energetic babyface who was really over with the crowd in the early 90s. He was also the conniving, dastardly, super sadistic bad guy that he was in the late 90s. He could be funny. He could be boisterous. He could be the silent killer. He could be openly psychotic. There was... You know, a, a range and a versatility to the guy that I find quite fascinating. Because, again, he's a former prison guard. You wouldn't expect that level of charisma or range out of a guy like that, Maxwell. Oh, certainly. And that was the biggest thing for me as someone who... Um, my So that was my introduction to Big Boss Man. And then once I got older and I kind of got into, uh, like, the waning days of, of tape trading is it sort of transitioned into DVD trading before, uh, you know, internet torrents became more popular. And this is like all pre WWE network era. So like, that's, that's what you had to do to, to watch all the wrestling. Like, right. I remember just being kind of like blown away by just the different iterations that he went through in his career, because yeah, like you said, he played, you know, fun, upbeat characters. He, showed a level of athleticism in his matches in all Japan that he didn't show in any of his late WWF run, which was, you know, the only thing I'd known from him. So yeah, it, it's odd that he, and even when he deviated from the boss man character, it was always kind of still within the same realm, but he did it with so many different personalities uh, and in in-ring styles as well, that uh, it's a much more diverse and just different uh, career than, you would expect if you just saw one of his runs. Right, yeah, yeah. And you mentioned um, the in-ring. He wasn't quite the super worker in no. the ring by any stretch, you know? He, he wasn't quite Tanahashi. Uh, but at, at the same time, don't judge a book by its cover. Because, you know, here is this good old boy, this good old country boy from Marietta, Georgia. Six foot seven, 300 pounds plus. Bit of a belly on the guy. You would expect someone who couldn't keep up, someone who, you know, looked just slow and plodded around. Not the case. The boss man could move. You know, he could he could zip around the ring. He could run the ropes. I mean, we're not talking Masato Yoshino here, okay? <laughs> but, <laughs> but if still, he could, could you imagine? That'd be amazing. That'd, that'd be pretty amazing. Yeah, you know. Speed star! <laughs> Prison guard in the jungle! <laughs> But but still, but still, you know, for a guy his size 
to be able to move as well as he could, it was so impressive. Um, you mentioned All Japan a little bit earlier there. There's that clip of him wrestling Kobashi, mm-hmm. where Kobashi whips him into the corner, and the boss man, he slides under the ropes on one side of the turnbuckle, runs around, slides back into the ring from the other side of the turnbuckle, and hits Kobashi with an uppercut. There's also another clip where he hits Earthquake with an enziguri. An enziguri from the boss man. I mean, I mean, come and on. It's it's one of those things, too, where I think a lot of people get are, are kind of desensitized to things like that now. Because they're, like, we live in this age of, like, the everyone wants to be the agile big man. Like, there's no shortage of bigger, larger gentlemen in pro wrestling who do enziguris and moonsaults and things like that. But it, it truly was sort of like a novelty at that time. You didn't see anything like that. Like, the uppercut spot alone was just mind-blowing for that, that time period. And he, in many ways, I think he was kind of an, an innovator. And it would have been interesting to see if someone, like, if he were to basically be reincarnated and have a new wrestling career today, how much further he could have pushed it in an era where like, Hey, that's totally fine. Like if, if those are the things that you want to do in the ring, whereas back then it was probably, you know, discouraged and even looked down on by some people. Mm-hmm. Well, actually it's, it's funny. It, it was that underlying athleticism that got him his first regular gig in wrestling. Cause the story goes, he started out as just Ray trailer, this you know, unknown rookie. And he was brought in by his trainer uh, in 86 to Jim Crockett Promotions to do a job. And the guy he was wrestling was Tully Blanchard. And the thing about Tully was that his finisher was the slingshot suplex. And that's not a move you can hit on anybody. You know, as good as Tully was, hitting that move on a guy at 300 pounds plus is a pretty tough job. So Tully is looking at this big burly dude and he's like, okay, what kind of finish are we gonna do here? And Trailer is like, let's do the suplex. I can take the move. And Tully's like, all right then. And sure enough, they get to the finish. And Tully picks him up. And it is like the cleanest, (laughs) most picture-perfect slingshot suplex you could ever imagine. Just a flawless execution on both guys' parts. And Dusty Rhodes, God bless his soul, he sees this and thinks, this kid's got something here. And soon enough... Goodbye, Ray Trailer. Hello, Big Bubba Rogers. So he got a regular gig in the company as Jim Cornette's new bodyguard just because he showed up and he could do things that a normal big guy could not do, which is a very cool origin story, I think, Maxwell. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. And I I need to hunt down and find that match because the slingshot suplex, like, you know, sort of in kayfabe, the idea of it is that there's going to be this momentum generated by bouncing somebody off the ropes when in reality it doesn't work that way. And it's a really difficult move for anybody to pull off. Um, but to do it, yeah, to somebody that's that size and, and have it look good, that is a real kind of testament to him. So let's get to these themes here. Uh, we have nine in total, starting off with Big Bubba Rogers in JCP. He was the silent bodyguard for Jim Cornette, who wore a fedora, a suit and tie, and sunglasses. His theme in the company is by the great composer Henry Mancini. This is from the classic TV show Peter Gunn from the 50s. This is the theme from Peter Gunn.
so this song sets off one of the recurring motifs for some of the boss man's themes here, which is the association with law enforcement. You know, given that he was in law enforcement in real life, and most of his gimmicks have to do with law enforcement, it makes sense then that some of the boss man's themes also are associated with law enforcement. And the Peter Gunn theme is right in line with that, given that it's the theme song to a detective show. It, you know, it's part of the pop culture milieu, this and I think the Dragnet theme, where you hear it and think immediately of detectives and cops and law enforcement and all that stuff. So even though I don't think that the Big Bubba character was meant to be specifically a law enforcement officer, he was just a bodyguard, it still fits because he's still an enforcer of some kind, Maxwell. Yeah, it did It did feel a little bit more spy than, uh, you know, sort of bodyguard police officer-esque. Um, so I thought from that regard, it was, it was a little strange, but it does, it ultimately fits, like you said, the, the overall motif of things. So I didn't realize this until I looked through some of the notes that you'd put together for the show. I didn't realize that this was directly taken from a television show theme song, which is absolutely fascinating to me. Yeah, it was from the TV show Peter Gunn from the 50s. And uh, there have been multiple covers of the song done over the years. Uh, but this is the original version, which makes sense because if you looked at Big Bubba, fedora, sunglasses, suit jacket, he does look like an old school detective. Oh, absolutely. And it's, um, yeah, it's it's certainly fitting. I, I just, it's interesting to me that just that that's something that would be done. Like I can't, it's hard to wrap my head around someone today being like, I'm going to come out to the office theme. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it worked. It fit It fit the look. It fit the character. Um, it, it was just overall one of those things that you can tell that they put thought and care into. And I think that one of the big things with music and pro wrestling is that you want to have an idea for exactly who is going to come through the curtain the second you hear the music. And this is a case where you were absolutely getting that. Right, right. And I like how this song as well, it conveys a sense of malevolence with the rhythm because mm -hmm. it's got that repeating melody in there with the guitar and the piano. Dano, 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 dano. Has a real sinister quality to it. Yes. Um, kind of like a shark circling its prey almost. And then with the saxophone and the brass parts. That's the part where it jumps out at you and sort of attacks the listener in a sense. And as the song goes on, the brass gets more and more chaotic and loud. So there's a real uh, dangerousness to this song. And if you're someone like Big Bubba, who is a very large man, who loves to beat people up, then this sinister song works quite well. And I think it fits as well the fact that, you know, as you pointed out, it sort of builds throughout the song itself as well. Um, because, like, again, that's just one of those things that, that pro wrestling is all about. It's about a build. It's, it, you know, that's how a match is structured. That's wrestling psychology as a whole. So to have a theme song that does that too, is this character is making their progression and, and coming out to the ring. It's, it's, it's a great quality to have in an entrance. Yeah, the element of building up the tension. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, Trailer also used this song in UWF when he went there in 1987. And um, admittedly, you know, my knowledge of this time period in wrestling isn't great compared to others. Uh, but there is one moment with Big Bubba 
that does stick out in my mind. It was in JCP, and there was this angle in the ring where Big Bubba, he attacks Baby Doll. And Dusty comes out to save the day, and he hits Big Bubba with a wooden chair right over his head, just BAM! And Big Bubba, he doesn't even flinch. He doesn't move a muscle. All he does is adjust the fedora and start taking off the suit jacket. Like a total badass. That's great. And the best thing about that is, uh, according to Jim Cornette, the prop guy forgot to gimmick the chair beforehand. So Dusty was hitting him with a legit stiff chair shot, and he still didn't flinch. I mean, that is badass right there. That is, yeah. Wow. I've not seen that angle or heard, heard that story before, and that is... Man, makes you gain another level of respect for the guy. That's yeah. absolutely incredible. He's a tough man. Tough man, for sure. So in 1988, a trailer joins the WWF and becomes the Big Boss Man, a corrections officer gimmick that, as I said previously, it was based on his real-life stint as a former prison guard. No more suit and tie and fedora. He was now wearing the classic Big Boss Man outfit with the blue officer's uniform, the patches on the shirt, nightstick, handcuffs, aviator sunglasses, and a crew cut. So very much looking the part. And for the first few years of his WWF run, Boss Man was a heel managed by Slick. And he would come out to Slick's entrance music. This is off of Piledriver, the wrestling album too. It's by Jeff Batter, Vern Taylor, and David Wolf, featuring Slick on vocals. This is, of course... Jive Soul Bro. Well, I met this lady and I told her quite a story, said I love her forevermore. But the trouble is I tell the same old story to every girl that walks through the door. This is the So this song is just so much fun. It's such a funky brew. Uh, One of the first hip-hop themes in wrestling as well, I think. So a pretty important song, too. And one that is fairly straightforward. Uh, It's about Slick being a, a double talker with the ladies. Says he loves one girl, but he says that to all the women, of course. He's a, he's a two-timer, a jive soul bro who's always lying to his friends. And Slick is trying to defend himself here. He says he only tells the truth. He's clean, mean, pockets full of green. But we all know he's full of shit, because that's what Slick is. He's full of shit. He's a hustler. Now, that's all well and good for Slick, but this is a big boss man episode. And a song like this, it doesn't really work for a guy like the boss man does it maxwell no and it's it's one of those things where it's it's kind of a shame because it yeah it, it has nothing to do with our main subject but as an entrance theme itself i love it i love the idea of slick using this it it perfectly fits the slick character i i 
tend to like when wrestlers do their own vocal work on their themes. Um, and, and Slick is absolutely a guy where that character would have been like, I will do my own theme. It's It, it was fitting for him in that regard. But it's never something that I associate with the Big Boss Man. Right, right. I I don't think of the Big Boss Man as a as a big fan of hip hop, you know, or or funk or R and B. Doesn't really come off as that kind of guy. I don't. Yeah, I don't think he was blurring that driving down the road. No, but... no. <laughs> Plus, the song has zero to do with the Boss Man. You know, it it's a good song. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. It's just it's all about slick. Um, I will say this though. I will say this though. This was the late '80s. And there was a much greater emphasis on the importance of managers back then. So it would kind of make sense, I think, that Slick would get the song and not the boss man. Uh, but also, think about this. Boss man coming out to Slick's music is a pretty good way of emphasizing just how much of a bad guy the boss man is. Because at face value, Slick and the boss man should not get along at all. You know, here is this... This hustler, Slick, who is clearly up to no good. He has a whole stable of bad guys. The big boss man is supposed to, you know, uphold law and order. He's supposed to be enforcing the law. He should not be hanging out with guys like Slick or coming out to his music. He should be trying to put Slick away. But here he is coming out to Jive Soul Bro and palling around with the Slickster. It, it just tells you point blank that this boss man guy is bad news, Maxwell. Oh, 100%. And I, I think that is sort of the redeeming quality of him coming out to this song, is that it it ultimately is going to sort of unite the act and kind of tie it all together. And I think just kind of the way that WWF presented its characters as a whole, the idea of like a, a baby face cop in 80s WWF, you would almost expect them to be a good guy character. So it, it, this was a nice kind of easy way of showing like, yeah, no, he's he's not. He's he's buddied up with slick right right um did you know that this was a cover by any chance so i i didn't but it sounded familiar enough that i but i i no, i would not have known that this was somebody else's song yeah it was originally by somebody named captain chameleon and it was called jive old foe yeah, what's happening brother well, I met this lady and told her quite a story and said I'd love her forevermore. But the trouble is I tell the same story to every girl that walks through the door. <laughs> oh, well, first they love me and then they don't. Sometimes they do it and sometimes they won't. But I said to this one girl, hey, you get out. She got to her feet and began to shout, the devil. It came out in 81, and for Piledriver, uh, the guys who did the song, David Wolf, Jeff Batter, and Vern Taylor, they were also involved in the making of the album. Uh, David Wolf produced it. So they just took Jive Old Foe, and they put new lyrics in with the slick references and had slick singing and whatnot. So yeah, it's a cover, which I never knew for a long time. I, I always assumed it was just an original. Yeah, I've never heard the, I can safely say I've never heard the original version of it. That's fascinating. And they did a good enough job in reworking the lyrics that I would have never known. Yeah. And Captain Chameleon also did a song 
called Grab Them Cakes, which, of course, later became the Junkyard Dog theme. A true classic. Yeah, yeah. And it was also written by Wolf and Taylor. And David Wolf produced the wrestling album, the first one, which Grab Them Cakes was on. So it all kind of ties together there. A thing of beauty. In 1990, uh, the big boss man turns face because Ted DiBiase had paid Slick to send the big boss man after Jake Roberts and get back DiBiase's million-dollar championship. And boss man, law enforcer that he is, thought that he was just returning stolen property. But when he found out that there was a payoff involved, that was too far for the boss man. So he turned on Slick and became a good guy. Which, you know, doesn't make a ton of sense considering that the big boss man has just spent like the past two years beating guys up with nightsticks every show. So he kind of played it fast and loose with the law thing there, Maxwell. Well, yeah, and like this is, you know, they did you know, frequently cheat to win their matches yeah. and things like that. So it's like, oh, now you're a guy with integrity. <laughs> it was very just sort of like, wow, you know, well, his character is a police officer. It's very like just hindsight convenient pro wrestling booking and not based on anything that had actually been transpiring on the screen for the last year. Well, let's not let details get in the way of a good story here, Maxwell. Okay, <laughs> you know, let's not worry about that stuff. All right. Logic, who needs it? Come on now. <laughs> So, um, yeah, the big boss man was now a good guy on his own, so he can't use Slick's theme anymore, obviously. So he gets a new theme, which he has until he leaves the WWF in 93. This is off of WWE The Federation era. It's by Jimmy Hart, J.J. McGuire, and Jimmy Jameson. A lot of J's there. Uh, This is Hard Times. If you ever take a trip down to Cobb County, Georgia This is more like it. You know, this is definitely right in the boss man's wheelhouse. A fiery southern rock song for a fiery southern babyface. It just, it, it fits this iteration of the boss man so well with the energy and the gusto and how catchy it is. Because the boss man is no longer the evil, mean, bad guy from before. He's now a good guy. And he's full of babyface charisma and energy and he's bouncing off the ropes and the fans are going crazy so the decision to give boss man this song that is just so much fun and so catchy really works well given that he's now a good guy and that he is now a very popular character with the audience maxwell definitely and it's it's one of those things also where 
you could almost point to this as an example of what pro wrestling music should be. Like when you have, you know, WWE's budget and, you know, people that are creating custom themes for wrestlers and things like that, you would ultimately kind of hope for an end result that's that's something like this, where you're getting something that is exactly tailored to this is this character, this is precisely who they are, you know, this is what they do on a daily basis. You get a, a crystal clear picture of who the big boss man is through this theme. Um, and that's something that, you know, instead of, you know, paying uh, downstate to just make a rock song and assign it to somebody, <laughs> this is something that I miss in, in the modern era of wrestling. Plus, it accentuates that the boss man is now a solo guy. You know, he's not part of Slick's gang anymore. He's not teaming up with Akeem, the African Dream. He's not coming out to Jive Soul Bro, which doesn't fit him. He's coming out now to a song that is Southern. Uh, Jimmy Jameson, the singer, is from Tennessee. It's all about the boss man in terms of the lyrics. Serving hard times is his catchphrase. Cobb County, Georgia. He carries a big stick, a ball and chain too. Respect the law and order, etc., etc. Uh, again, it matches his now babyface disposition because it's a fun song and it's about catching the bad guys as opposed to you know being with the bad guys, which it used to be. It all lines up. The boss man is now on a true singles run, so now he's coming out to a song that is you know tailor made for him, um, or should I say, Maxwell, a song that's trailer made for him oh i was gonna make the exact same pun as soon as i heard taylor as soon as you said taylor made i was gonna be like trailer made trailer made trailer made and you beat me to it too easy too easy the easy ones are the best ones sometimes though (laughs) yeah i I just think that this is a uh and also just kind of good time and place as well in terms of just sort of themes for that era it's something that fit kind of the overall picture of you know, the big, you know, Land of the Giants sort of uh, cartoony, colorful WWF. Um, yeah, everything about it's good. I, I don't think that there is anything about this theme that you would really want done differently or or could change. I think it's one of those things where, you know, in hindsight, I don't I don't think, A, I don't think you would do a police officer gimmick today, and B, I don't think that you would, like, emphasize how hard they are on their, you know, prisoners or things like that today. But you know, for for the time, it was it was good. It gave you a very clear picture of the character, and it it worked wonders. And like you said, too, really helped in in developing his own identity. He's now the big boss man on his own. He's not someone who's just doing the dirty work of of a uh, heel manager. I will say, um, as a critique towards the song, it is quite fun and catchy and whatnot and, and sassy too. Not a lot of variety when it comes to the lyrics. Very repetitive. Um, yes. I, I counted like. 10 distinct lines in the song that are just repeated over and over and over again, most of which are just hard times. You'll be serving hard times. So it it gets pretty repetitive, that's for sure. But besides that, I think it's a a pretty neat song for the boss man to have. For sure. And that that is another thing with a lot of wrestling themes that I've noticed when I'll occasionally make the mistake of, you know, adding a wrestling theme to a Spotify playlist or things like that. And it's like, oh yeah, they, they know that only a minute of this is going to play on TV. And not only is the chorus repeating, but the verses are also (laughs) repeating. CFOs. Yeah. 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 And it'll be a two minute song of the same kind of 30 seconds, four times. So when the boss man left the WWF in 93, he spent some time in all Japan pro wrestling, which you brought up earlier. He actually went there first in 88 
for a brief run, but now he was back as Big Bubba. His theme there is off of the album All Japan Pro Wrestling, The Best of the Music Volume 2. I couldn't find out who did it specifically, so it's just credited to All Japan. This is the All Japan version of Hard Times. If you ever take a trip down a child caught a charger, you better with the same respect to roll all of you some hard times. You'll be serving hard times. You know the big boss man will make you walk the line. You better watch a boy who be serving hard times. He carries a big stick, a ball and chain too. Looking for trouble, he'll be coming after you. So not much to say about this one, um, it's literally just a straight up cover of Hard Times, but I suppose that's kind of the novelty of it, you know, the fact that All Japan literally did a straight up cover of Hard Times. Uh, it's just strange to think about a Japanese man going into a recording booth and doing his best impression of, if you ever take a trip down to Cobb County, Georgia, you know, it's, it's odd to think about that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, then again, I suppose if you're bringing in the guy who is fresh off of the original Boss Man run and is not called the Big Boss Man anymore, but he's still wearing the Boss Man gear, then, yeah, just do a cover of Hard Times. Like, you know, why not? What the hell? Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think that's spot on. Uh, you know, it's it can be a lot of uh, it can be difficult at times when you're bringing someone new to your audience over and, you know, you want to bring over every element of them that makes them them and you can't do that sometimes but if you have a really good cover band like they did here to the point where i almost double checked to make sure i didn't you know click on the the same file again it's it's really good as, as far as the cover goes and i i was just kind of wondering like so badly what yeah where this came about who they got to do this if Bossman himself had somebody to do it, if All Japan had the hookup with people who were doing cover themes for them. But, yeah, almost indistinguishable in many ways. Well, on this album, All Japan, they did do other covers for the wrestlers. Okay. Like, they did a version of Welcome to the Jungle for the Can-Am Express. Uh, they did a version of Kickstart My Heart for Johnny Ace. Oh, that's They did beautiful. a version of I Love It Loud by Kiss. For the Miracle Balance Connection, uh, Danger Zone for Masanobu Fuji. So yeah, this wasn't just a one and done here. They did do other songs. Oh man, I wish that like New Japan was doing that currently. <laughs> but like, still, even for like, Chris Jericho, like they're like, uh, well, we can't use the Fozzy music, so we're gonna cover Fozzy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll become, I'll become, I'll become. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the very notion of the big boss man being in mid-90s All Japan, that itself is kind of ridiculous, you know? I, I mean, like, he's in the same ring as Kobashi and Misawa and Tawe and Kawada and Akiyama and all those guys. Not that he couldn't go. He was fine. But, you know, just the idea of the big boss man in the uniform. Like, yes. sharing a ring with Kobashi and Misawa. Like, he's in the same mold as, like, a Dr. Death 
or Stan Hansen where they're, you know, the big American Hoss figure. That's not the issue. It's just that he's dressed in the blue uniform like he was in the WWF, you know, which is pretty weird to see. Yeah, and that it was my first, like, real sort of what the hell um, experience with Big Boss Man was, I think, for a lot of people my age, the first sort of exposure to Japanese wrestling that you would get into is, like, watching the Misawa Kawada matches and, you know, Hanson and Kobashi and things like that. So when I, you know, you go through those archives or look up tapes uh, from that era, then it's like you see Big Boss Man on the card, and it's just... I mean, you could make the argument that, you know, Stan Hansen is kind of charactered up on his entrance to the ring and things like that. But the idea of this guy just in like a full body costume and this very straightforward, badass wrestling promotion is really just unsettling and, and different. But it worked and he hung he hung there and, you know, the fans took to him quite a bit. And uh, I, I don't know that a lot of people could have pulled that off. Yeah, Big Bubba versus Taman Honda was an actual match that happened, which is weird to think about. But at the same time, it's kind of cool that it did. You know, mm-hmm. the, the the power of wrestling right there. <laughs> also in 1993, uh, back in the States, Trailer wrestled very, very, very briefly for Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Like two matches, I think, at most. But he did come out to a pretty famous song for his entrance theme there. This is best known as the theme song for the long-running show Cops. This is by Inner Circle off the album Bad to the Bone. This is Bad Boys. So there are a couple of genres that I just can't associate with the boss man. The first is hip-hop, which we had with Jive Soul Bro. The other one is reggae. Uh, Ray Trailer doesn't seem like a big reggae guy to me. But I will say, though, that Bad Boys is actually a good fit for him, regardless of the genre, uh, because, simply, it's the context again. Law enforcement. Um, number one, it's from the show Cops. So it has that association already, right there. And number two, it's all about stopping criminals. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? So it's sort of like a reggae version of Hard Times in that sense, where he's trying to warn you not to be bad or else he'll get you, which I think it works despite you know the odd mix of reggae and the boss man, Maxwell. Oh, certainly. And, and this is also too, just in terms of um, you know, culturally, you have to take into the larger context as well of, of cops being red hot at this point in yeah. time. It's only a few years into its run. It was the first sort of 
you know, reality theme style of programming. So it was a, you know, a, a cultural happening in many ways. And, you know, why not kind of cheaply capitalize on it if you're Ray Trailer and and come out to that as your theme? It, it fits what you do. It It's instantly recognizable. And uh, yeah, it's it's a good choice. And uh, yeah, I, I have not seen any of his, his Smoky Mountain run. Uh, but yeah, I think it makes sense for him to, to roll with it here. Yeah, I mean, there are, are plenty of songs he could have chosen besides this one. Um, I Fought the Law by The Clash. Yeah. That's one. Um, I Am the Law by Anthrax. That's another there one. There we go. Uh, but to go with this... And if there's contem- anything that we've learned, too, it's that Big Boss Man has a much uh, wider taste in music than we would have anticipated Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there is nothing that's off limits for him as a, uh, a potential theme, as long as it kind of fits his overall presentation. Yeah, it's a contemporary, trendy pick. So it's a good choice there, for sure, yeah. Um, I, I will say, though, that the tone of the song, it's a little dissonant with the boss man, because it, it is about catching bad guys, but it's also a little more sentimental than that, because it's trying to reason with the criminals and get them to understand, when you were eight and you had bad traits, you go to school and learn the golden rule. So why are you acting like a bloody fool? Why did you have to act so mean? Don't you know you're a human being? Born of a mother, with the love of a father. Those are quite emotional lyrics there. And the boss man, God love him, he wasn't the most sentimental guy in the world, you know? (laughs) He once stole a man's coffin from his own funeral. Which kind of tells you that care and affection are not the big boss man's forte, Maxwell. Certainly. And this is a guy, yeah, who... And all those other themes are about how you're going to do hard time. He's going to make you walk the line. You know what I mean? It's very, uh, you get the idea that he believes in a, a stricter form of, of more perhaps harsh punishment as, a pro, as opposed to the whole, you know, empathetic, let's talk through it type of approach. Uh, so that, yeah, that may be the one area where it doesn't quite line up with, uh, with what he's doing in the ring. So at the end of 93, uh, Ray Trailer decides to sign with WCW. And in what was, I'm sure, just, you know, a complete coincidence here, Maxwell, WCW gives him the gimmick of the boss. Yes, where he wore, which was a, a brand new character Yeah, WCW. He wore an officer's uniform, nightstick, aviator sunglasses. Again, just pure happenstance, I'm sure. Yeah, the, the name's, you know, a little similar. The, slightly, the big boss man, slightly, the boss. yeah. But just, yeah, just uh, in terms of the character, uh uh, completely different. Nothing. Uh, nothing is exactly the same about it. And uh, there was no uh, no one in the WWF that was mad about it because they were <laughs> such uh, departures from each other. Everything was gonna be all right. <laughs> um, his theme as the boss is by Paul Riordan from the Emphonic Soundstate Production Library. This is called Detectives.
Holler, if you hear me. <laughs> oh, wait, wrong guy. Wrong guy. Sorry about that. Um, so this is called Detectives. Uh, the title, of course, continuing the trend of the boss man, or I guess the boss in this case, having a song tied to law enforcement. Uh, but even if it wasn't called Detectives, you would still connect it to law enforcement because there are just so many goddamn police sirens in this goddamn song that are blaring non-fucking-stop throughout this entire thing. Just an, an endless cacophony of... Oh, it's so annoying, Maxwell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, to me, this is my least favorite in terms of just just speaking purely from a music standpoint of the boss man themes it's incredibly jarring i hate sirens and horns and things like that in wrestling entrance music so you know the cesaro theme that had that the old right to censor theme i find it incredibly jarring and obnoxious so that kind of overlaying a detective uh you know street detective style thing plus the sort of wcw jobber generic you know motif mixed in there as well it's just there's a lot going on a lot of it's very grating and uh when you compare this to the music that he'd had in wwf it's just a wild step down for me even though it it does clearly communicate what he is it is just a pain to listen to Right, right. I mean, here's the thing. If you listen underneath the sirens, you can hear like this kind of jazz, rocky, metallic synth sort of thing. Has a pretty cool beat to it. It's perfect for like a late 80s, early 90s cop drama, you know? Yes, and, yeah. and I think on its own, it would make a, a pretty fine theme for the boss. The problem is that it's just so hard to listen to and appreciate because it's just, it's drowned out by all the sirens. It, it's too much. Mm -hmm. And I, I do think it's sort of a case of the subtlety hammer as well. Like, we get it. We don't need to have, you know, sirens in a theme. I think even just that uh, sort of, you know, police, you know, 90s TV show beat that was in there more than expressly communicates that. I don't think you also need to add the sirens in there. It just seems like sort of an unnecessary layer to to tack on to everything that's already in place. Yeah, I mean, Hard Times, as on the nose as it was when it came to law and order and all that stuff, it didn't need a siren or the sound effect of a jail cell closing or, yeah. or, or Cool Hand Luke, you know, what we have here <laughs> is failure to communicate, you know? It, it didn't need that stuff to get across the boss man character, it, it did so on its own with the words and the music. Mm -hmm. I think the music here, while being, you know, kind of generic, sure, I think it could have worked just fine on its own. Like, just have the siren at the beginning as like a stinger and then segue that into the song. That would have worked as opposed to, you know, drowning out everything with sirens. Certainly. It's, it's too much. And I think in... Uh... I, I'm personally, his kind of run in WCW is, to me, the least memorable aspect of his career at it, it all points. And in many ways, this sort of just symbolizes, I think, why it didn't work. I think that this was just the type of character that WWF had more success with. And 
it goes right down to the theme music, which was rarely a, a strong point for WCW. But when they had good themes, they had really good themes. But this was not one of them. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh. Um, I will say, though, for the record, I'm not 100% anti-sirens and theme songs. I just like when they're used sparingly. Like, a good example of that is Tomohiro Ishii's theme. The siren is great in there because it doesn't overstay its welcome. You know, as opposed to this song or the Steiner theme or Cesaro's old theme where you're just being, like, overwhelmed by them. Yeah, it's it's the incessant nature of it that, that makes it unbearable. In 1994, uh, the boss changes his gimmick because it was maybe, possibly, perhaps a little too close to the big boss man character, Maxwell. Yeah, I never really understood where that came from outside of, uh, you know, outside of looking the same, having a similar name, uh, dressing the same. I I didn't really see any of the connections outside of those things. Yeah. uh, You know, uh, you know, the frivolous legal battles that take place sometimes in in today's world right right better safe than sorry that's my motto that's my motto (laughs) so the boss goes away and the guardian angel emerges it was based on the organization the guardian angels which is this unarmed crime prevention group that is all about public safety and he was still a lawman of sorts here, but now he was wearing the Guardian Angels t-shirt, a red track jacket, and a red beret, which is what the Guardian Angels wear. He even underwent actual Guardian Angel training outside of wrestling and became an actual member of the group in real life, which is pretty neat, I think. Uh, his new theme there is by John McCoy and Nicky Moore, and it's from the Chapel Recorded Music Library. It's called, and I swear to God, this is the real title, The Fat Man in Me. So I feel like I need to explain a few things here because you can't just say the fat man and me and leave that hanging, okay? So a few weeks ago, we did the Chris Jericho episode and Jericho's first WCW theme was an instrumental of a song called All the Days by this band called Mammoth. John McCoy and Nicky Moore are two of the founding members of Mammoth. And they sold the rights to some of their songs to the Chapel Recorded Music Library, including All the Days and this other song called Fat Man. Okay. So the music library now had the rights to this song. They gave it a new title, The Fat Man and Me, which is a line from the chorus. 
and they made an instrumental version out of it, which ended up being the Guardian Angel theme. And I'm sure, Maxwell, that WCW giving Ray Trailer a song with Fat Man in the title was just another one of those weird coincidences, right? Yeah, gotta be pure coincidence that they would uh, would put that on him. But yeah, this uh, this is a uh, an interesting theme. It's it's very WCW. I almost couldn't decide if it came across as like more Western or or you know almost like beachy in some ways. Like if this was like the uh, the Bash the Beach pay per view theme one year, it wouldn't wouldn't stick out to you. It's it's the one that I think speaks the least to the character. Um, it's it's definitely not similar to the theme he had before. So in terms of you know putting a twist on the character and rebranding it. I get why they wouldn't want to be as overt with like, it's law enforcement. It's like, you know what I mean? I, I get why they'd want to, you know, not lean into that as heavily, but it just really doesn't portray much of anything to me. Right. It's your standard chunky guitar rock song um, matches the aggression and the intensity of Ray trailer, but that's about it really to talk about. Um, the thing is though, that much like with Jericho and all the days, it's probably better they went, with the, they went with the instrumental version because the lyrics in the actual version really don't match up with the gimmick at all because the gimmick is that he's the guardian angel. You know, he's beating up the bad guys and keeping the peace. The song, though, is about, like, being proud of being a fat guy <laughs> and being big and heavy, and you, you shouldn't try to conform to other people's senses of beauty. Or whatever. Just be the fat man in you. All right. Doesn't really match up all that well with the gimmick, I don't think. <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah, the, the boss was not uh, meant to be a, a posi- uh, body positivity icon. Uh, but if he was, yeah, he could have just, you know, come out to the song with the lyrics. Yeah, they say that inside every thin man, a fat man's trying to break free. And now you got to keep him in, man, or you'll get treated like a freak. But it ain't none of their damn business. After all, what do they know? Life's for taking to the limits. I'll go the way I want to go. Because it's the fat man in me. Born to be me. Fat man in me. Big, mean, heavy. So heed my warning and keep out of my way. I'm getting even. And it starts today. You know, if Ray Trailer actually had a gimmick that was about him being a fat guy and being proud of it and promoting body positivity, this song would be perfect. Yeah, it like it legitimately wouldn't be bad. I think it would have been probably too ahead of its time uh, for people to take to it. But yeah, like it's that's yeah, that's what that song is. Yeah, I mean, nowadays you got a whole bunch of fat guys who could make this gimmick work. You know, uh, yeah. Ace Romero, Falaba, mm-hmm. Barrington Hughes. Bad luck folly. There's like a whole herd of fat guys who could make this song work. Yeah, now's the time for somebody to uh, license the uh, the OG version of the song with lyrics. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Put the uh, put the work into your character. Pay, pay <laughs> up for it. Invest in yourself. Got to spend money to make money. <laughs> um, by the way, uh, WCW themes, they tended to get passed around a lot between the wrestlers. Do you know who also used this theme song? Oh, gosh. I feel like it's got to be somebody not important. I'm going to guess Joe Gomez. You were close. Akira Hokuto and Bull Nakano. What? And it was at the infamous Collision in Korea pay-per-view in North Korea. 
Okay. Was that the only time that they used it? I think so. Yeah, I think. Okay, because I was going to say, like, I'm I'm almost a little upset I didn't get it because I was like, I know that I would have watched one of their matches if I came across one of them on a show. But, yeah, J- Joe Gomez was just about right on the nose, though. <laughs> you were close. You were close. Just a, a hair off there. Yeah, man. The uh, very next year, 1995, we get another gimmick change. He was a face as the boss and the guardian angel, but he turns heel in 95 and reassumes the big Bubba Rogers name with the suit and fedora and whatnot. Later on, he would start wearing uh, more traditional street clothes, and he would join the Dungeon of Doom, and then he would briefly join the NWO, and then he would get kicked out of the NWO, and then he would start using his real name, Ray Trailer. So a lot of changes for the guy over the five years he was there in WCW. Uh, this next theme here is from the Aircraft Music Library. It's by David B. Fields, and it's called Ralph. <laughs> Again, with these WCW themes, there really isn't much to hang your hat on, um, or your fedora in this case. Um, Ralph is yet another generic production library rock instrumental song, just like most other themes in WCW were. Um, It's fine, it's whatever, but as soon as you hear it, you'll never think about it ever again. It doesn't have any notable traits at all, Like, like even Detectives had the annoying sirens. This is just a a random rock song. Even the title is nothing. You know, Ralph. What kind of name for a theme song is Ralph? I I don't know. And that that's what stuck out to me with this one was that, you know, yeah, the the uh I believe it was Detectives was the theme, was the theme that we couldn't stand. Um if you were to ask me though if I'm in his shoes, which theme would you rather have? I would pick that one. Uh, just because this is, yeah, it could be anybody coming through the curtain. It, it doesn't tell you anything about the character, the performer. It, it It's of no value. It, it's doing nothing to accentuate the performance of, of Ray Trailer when he comes through the curtain. And that's what a theme is supposed to do. So I, I don't, I don't know what, what this was. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned earlier that his WCW run wasn't all that memorable. It's fitting then that he has a theme song that also isn't memorable yeah like he had the vader feud at the start but that was about it from then on he was just another random mid carter he bounced around different stables with the dungeon of doom and the nwo he's changing Mm -hmm. names he's changing outfits he's changing theme songs he's changing gimmicks there was never any real stability here or consistency so yeah him having this nothing song actually ends up to be quite fitting. Yeah, and that, that to me is kind of the big reason his his WCW run didn't click is at every turn it's just, you know, a, a new name, but, you know, not not new enough that it's, you know, different or exciting. It's just kind of the same thing, just 
ever so slightly repackaged and in many ways it it, it almost communicated like ah uh, you know like we, we might just change this again in, in six months so like don't get too attached to it you know what i mean it just didn't there's nothing to sink your teeth into and they were just constantly sort of uh tweaking and altering with him and they, they never really let him kind of dig his heels in and run with with any one name or, or theme or anything right right i mean no wonder he left he was unhappy you know i'm mm-hmm. sure he wasn't happy because he could have stayed for the money you know late 90s wcw he could have made some pretty good money there but he clearly did not want to stay in that company anymore and he wanted to change so he went back to wwf yeah and i think in many ways it was it was the right call just absolutely in, yeah. in terms of legacy and things like that because it, it at least gave him a run that and I completely get it. If if you are a, you know, pro wrestling is a sport purist, I get it. If you absolutely hate his his last WWF run, if you thought it was deplorable or, you know, uh, you know, a stain on his on his career, I, I understand it. But at least it was something where he had, you know, a consistent name, a consistent gimmick. He was very over as a heel. He had things that he was doing. He was a part of the program. Where in WCW it was just scatterbrained nonsense for a few years right right and uh speaking to that again do you want to guess who else had this theme it was two different wrestlers this time two different wrestlers had this theme um whew, okay uh man i'm trying to think of like who would have come out to this uh Oh, God. Uh, Mike Enos. And the other one? Was that right? No, but I want the other guess. Oh, man. I got so excited <laughs> for a second. Uh, my next guess will be Bobby Duncombe Jr. Okay, both of those are wrong. Okay. It I was Van Hammer. Okay. And the other one was Asia. Oh, yes. Uh, bigger than China. Asia. That's right. Yeah. Yes. So, Ray Trailer, Van Hammer, and Asia. King of Trios, mm-hmm. here we come, baby. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. A, a true dream stable with professional wrestlers. So the last theme on the episode here came about when Ray Trailer left WCW in 1998 and returned to the WWF as the big boss man. He was back now as a henchman this time for Vince McMahon in the corporation. And his role now was to enforce McMahon law. But this was a much different boss man than we had seen before years prior. Number one, he was much slimmer. Number two, he was no longer wearing the classic big boss man blue uniform. He still had the sunglasses and the handcuffs and the nightstick, but now he was dressed in all black tactical gear and black gloves. And number three, he no longer had hard times as his theme song. He now had a new theme. This is, of course, by Jim Johnston, and it was eventually released on WWE Uncaged 2. This is called Guard.
so another grimy, nasty rock instrumental theme here, uh, similar to Ralph, I guess. But to quote DDP, that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. Because this song, it just sounds bad. Not bad as in quality-wise, bad as in, like, it's soul. The song is bad. It's evil. It's nasty. You've got those jagged, punchy guitars. You've got the whiny guitar chords in there. It sounds like the guitar is in pain. The tempo of the song is slower and rugged and mean. And if you watched The Big Boss Man during the second run here, he was practically, like, the nastiest, most evil bad guy ever. Like, he was just a, he was just a proper villain, you know? He was a henchman for Vince, the Al Snow feud, the Big Show feud. He was just, like, the worst guy in the world. So this pairing of mean, nasty boss man with this mean, nasty song is so perfect, Maxwell. Yeah, this, to me, is, is the most iconic of the boss man themes in many ways. Uh, and that if I had to give one of his themes to Peyton Royce and Billy Kay, it would be this one. No, um, <laughs> uh, it, it just, yeah, it, you couldn't have, have hit the nail on the head any better. It's so clearly a heel bad guy theme that there's no way that you're going to see a baby face walk through the curtain when you hear this music. And just at, on his walk to the ring with, you know, the all black gear with him, you know, twirling the nightstick and having that scowl on his face. It just fit perfectly with, with what he was doing and what they were trying to get across. And it's a great contrast with Hard Times as well. Like, Hard Times, it was this fun song, it was catchy, it was energetic. It matched the boss man's personality and disposition of that time period so well. And it was like we were with the boss man, you know? We were, we were fighting alongside him and putting the bad guys away by his side. But with Guard, it's so dingy and mean and nasty and there's nothing fun about it at all, it's like now we're against the boss man. Now we're the ones who he's locking up in jail. And if you close your eyes and you picture like prison, you know, barbed wire fences, concrete walls, metal bars, mean bastards all around you, this theme is like the soundtrack to that. In fact, the alternate title of the song is Cell Block. So it all comes together there, I think. Yeah, yeah, and, and like you said too, yeah, kind of contrasting it with his initial theme, it really just sort of shows the the metamorphosis and the change in this specific character over the years as well. And it's it is so different than the big boss man that he portrayed, you know, early on in his first run in the WWF. So it's it's kind of cool and fitting in that regard too. To and you know, I I don't think that there was you know a chance in hell that they would have just retreaded the initial theme. But it's nice that they were cognizant of, of the fact that this is going to be a very different portrayal of the character, and we need something that's really going to fit with where we're taking this. And they developed something that was perfect for that. Right, right. I mean, when you've got the boss man coming out in the black SWAT gear and the gloves and the sunglasses and the, and the stick, a surly look on his face, he looks as mean as the song sounds. Mm -hmm. And he's coming out to this music and he's beating up Al Snow and kidnapping Pepper and <laughs> tormenting the big show and all that stuff. 
it's like the total package of being a proper bastard. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's spot on and it yeah, just oozes with just terror and dread the second you hear it. And that's that's what a heels theme should do. Well, those were the themes of the big boss man there and all his iterations. And uh you know, not to end on too dour a note here, but um uh, the boss man, he was in the WWF from 98 to 2003, and the last year of his run there, he was training guys in OBW, and then he left, had a few matches in Japan, and then in September of 04, Ray Trailer, at 41 years old, died of a heart attack, uh, which, as we all know, as wrestling fans, is just way too common with wrestlers. They died just so young, so tragically young. But if there is a comforting note here, it's not just the fact that he gave us so much joy and entertainment over the years. It's also the fact that, by all accounts, he was, like, the nicest guy in the world, you know? All the wrestlers loved him, never had a bad thing to say about him. He was nice with the fans. He was a devoted family man, uh, married his childhood sweetheart, had a few kids with her. He would, like, organize memorial ceremonies for victims of 9-11. Like, that's who he was. That was Ray Trailer. And despite his life being cut way too short, he spent that life just making people happy and entertained. And he was just a naturally good person. Um... Of course, he also stole a man's coffin and fed a guy a dog, but besides all that, besides all that, you know, the big boss man, he really was just a wonderful guy in real life, and he'll be missed, I think, for many, many, many more years to come, that's for sure. Uh, Maxwell, any last thoughts on the big boss man here? Yeah, I mean, he really just sort of um, demonstrated a lot of great traits of of a pro wrestler. He was versatile. He was always willing to do whatever job was asked of him. He uh innovated he was constantly you know being willing to take risks and and change himself and as a performer and as a human being there were many things that were admirable about him and the fact that he was you know so well regarded behind the scenes almost makes it a little bit more amusing that he was the guy that you know read that poem about the big show's dad dying and and things like that (laughs) it it almost makes it even more kind of tongue-in-cheek and you know, ridiculous than it already was. So I just an all time favorite of mine, even, even sort of the obscure rougher patches of his career, things that, you know, I, I really enjoyed. Um, yeah. Just one of my favorites to ever do it. Yeah. It's pretty incredible that this guy who was just so sweet and nice, um, is the same guy who also said, "Wham, my daddy, my daddy. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> You know, I thought it was real funny when that big freak show's fake daddy died and went straight to hell. (laughs) Couldn't ask. Couldn't ask for anything better. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Music of the Mat. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, Maxwell, thank you for being on this show here. This was a real treat having you on and talking about the big boss man. And, you know, Paul White may be a big nasty bastard, and his mama said so, but uh, you, sir, are a true gentleman, that's for sure. I truly appreciate it. It was great to be here. I appreciate it. Any plugs you want to give? Go right ahead. Yeah, uh, check out RBR Weekly Wrestling Talk. Uh, we do go live on Wednesday nights. Uh, so if you're on, on on the World Wide Web on a Wednesday evening at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, 
uh, drop by and check us out. We also do upload the podcast to iTunes, uh, Spotify, all your major kind of podcast carriers. Uh, so go check it out us out there. We do also have a Patreon where we do bonus shows. We do a show where we review historic shows. I do a podcast with my wife where we're rewatching Attitude Era episodes of Raw. Uh, so always kind of something new and different there as well. So check us out there. I'm on Twitter at MaxwellRBR as well. Wham! My podcast! My podcast! <laughs> oh, yes! <laughs> That's fantastic. You know, I thought it was real funny when that big freak show's fake podcast died <laughs> and went straight to hell. I'll stop. Yeah. I'll stop. I'm oh sorry. no! You don't. You never have to. Anything, boss man, is good. <laughs> and uh, music of the mat is part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network, home to many great wrestling podcasts. You can find them all at voicesofwrestling.com. Follow the show on Twitter at Music of the Mat. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew T Rich. Check out the YouTube playlist for this and all past episodes at the VOW forums. That's VoicesOfWrestling.com slash forum. And of course, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other places. Uh, Maxwell, thanks again, and I'll see you around. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right. For Maxwell Bombach, I'm Andrew Rich, and I'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, guys. Music of the Mat is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders.